Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Walter. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 15 of the Gifts of Tongues, pages 148 to 157. The title of the chapter is The Gifts of God in the True Church. The reader program is about 26 minutes long. And then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program at that point. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And we will take phone calls all throughout the show. Thank you for listening. Here we go. The Gifts of God in the True Church, Chapter 15 of Gift of Tongues. Pages 148 to 157, wherever the miraculous gifts of the Holy Ghost are enjoyed, there the kingdom of God exists. Wherever these gifts are not enjoyed, there the kingdom does not exist. The Protestant and Catholic churches say the gifts, powers and miracles of the church which Christ established were done away because they were no longer needed. But Apostolos and Pratt denounced that idea. Now let us see if we can ascertain from the following verses how long these gifts were to continue in the Christian church. That will settle the question. They were given, said he, for the perfecting of the saints. Before we proceed to the other reasons for which they were given, let us examine this first for a moment. They were given for the perfecting of the saints. Very well. These gifts were given for the perfecting of the saints, and if you are saints, where are your gifts? For does it not follow that if you have no gifts you are either perfect saints or not saints at all? For if you are not perfect saints, these gifts must be among you. Do you know any way to perfect saints independent of these gifts? I do not. If the Bible has taught any other way I have never happened to find it. I know of no way in which saints can be perfected without inspired apostles and prophets, and the gifts here named. Journal of Discourses Brigham Young agreed with this concept. We are asked if signs follow the believer in our day as in days of old. We answer, they do. The blind see, the lame leap, the death here, the gift of prophecy is manifest, also the gift of healing, the gift of revelation, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Jesus said that these signs should follow them that believe. His church and kingdom always have these signs which follow the believer in all ages, when the true church is in existence. 
do they follow any but believers? They do not. The gift and power of the Holy Ghost, as enjoyed by the ancient saints, and its various manifestations, are not received in the faith of modern Christian sects. Journal of Discourses Apostolos and Pratt elaborated on the necessity of these gifts to accompany the true church. The Protestants denounce the Catholics as the mother of harlots and ash the most wicked and corrupt power on earth. The Catholics denounce the Protestants as heretics and apostates from the true church. The word of God denounces them both as unbelievers because they lack the signs. The infidel world denounces the word of God, because miraculous signs follow neither Catholics nor Protestants, who pretend to be believers. The sincere inquirer is almost distracted, because he is in greater doubt whether to believe in Catholics, Protestants, infidelity, or the word of God. If signs then were given to distinguish the ministers of Christ from impostors, Surely the present generation need them if ever they were needed. In the midst of all these conflicting opinions, the humble servant of God comes forth and boldly declares that no church can be the true church, unless they obey the words of Christ and enjoy the signs of believers. He testifies with authority that all the promises of Jesus will be fulfilled while there is one believer upon the face of the earth to be perfected and saved. He testifies that all who deny that signs will follow them that believe, are unbelievers, who, according to the words of Christ, must be damned. As a gift from God, the gift of tongues will remain with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a sign which will always attend the true believers of the Lord until we all come to a unity of the faith. Merely claiming to possess a record of those gifts is not sufficient justification for obtaining salvation, nor is it evidence of true faith. Urson Pratt explains, We and our forefathers have had a record of that gospel from ancient times unto the present. But a record is one thing and the power and authority to administer it is another. They are entirely distinct as much so as the history of a good dinner enjoyed in ancient days is distinct from the partaking of that dinner in our day. The history of such an event will not satisfy a man's hunger, any more than the mere record of what the everlasting gospel is will confer the authority to administer its ordinances. We may read, when we are very hungry, about the three or five thousand eating the loaves and fishes, but our appetite would still remain unsatisfied. It is very good to think that somebody else was fed and had their hunger satisfied, but it does us no good, so far as satisfying the cravings of our own appetites is concerned. So with regard to the New Testament containing the everlasting gospel. But if these gifts are part of the gospel, you do them away and you do away with the gospel. Journal of Discourses These gifts were very common in the early days of the Gospel Restoration, as President Brigham Young testified. Testified. The gifts of the Gospel are given to strengthen the faith of the believer. In dash, they shall speak with new tongues, saith Jesus. 
the stranger who is ignorant of our history inquires, N dash, have you the gift of tongues in your church? Yes, and were I to permit it now, hundreds of the elders and the sisters would rise up in this congregation and speak in new tongues, and interpret as well as the learned of the age. But I do not permit it. Does the gift of prophesy exist with us? This fact is so evident and plain that it appears to us almost a loss of time to talk about it. Journal of Discourses The reason they abound is explained by Matthew Cowley. The gifts of the Spirit are enjoyed by the saints, not merely in isolated cases, but wherever the saints are united, live in harmony with the Spirit and precepts of the Gospel. It may be said truly that wherever pure faith, unity, and zealous devotion exist, there is no dearth of the gifts of the Gospel. Spiritual gifts must exist in the true Church of Christ. The absence is an indication of unbelief, as Anton H. Lund explained. This morning, when Brother John W. Taylor read the testimony of the Prophet Moroni to us, I was much struck with some of the words he read. We were told that the spiritual gifts should always be found in the church, and that if there ever came a time when these gifts were not in the church, it would be on account of unbelief. And a woe was pronounced upon the inhabitants of the earth if such should be the case. I thought how clear the prophet Moroni made this, that the church whenever it is upon the earth must have the Holy Spirit within it. The members of the church must have this spirit, and the spiritual gifts must be manifested. Otherwise it would be a dead church. These words are recorded in the Book of Mormon and this wonderful book that has been brought forth by the power of God in our age. This book was printed before there was a church organized, and yet we find these remarkable words in it, which at once furnish the world with a test whereby they can judge if this is the Church of Christ or not. It says that in the church there must be found these gifts. Now, if Joseph Smith had not been an inspired man, if the Book of Mormon was not the Word of God, but written by man, how careful such a man would have been not to furnish the world with a test like this whereby they could at once detect whether it was the Church of Christ or not. A man who should fraudulently give himself out to be an inspired man, would be careful that such words should not be given to the world. But these were the words of a prophet that lived some 1400 years before, and one who understood the Church of Christ. When we look back upon the history of the Church we find that the spiritual gifts were very abundant in the original Church, and that whenever the saints met they were much blessed with the power of the Spirit. They were so eager to attend their meetings and to speak, prophesy, and talk in tongues, that the Apostle Paul had to regulate their meetings and give them counsel in regard to the manner of conducting them, that order might prevail. The saints were abundantly blessed with these manifestations of the Spirit. But when the apostasy took place, the Spirit of the Lord departed, its manifestations were fewer, and at last they were not known in the church. Then it was very convenient to teach the people that revelations were no longer needed, 
that prophets were not needed, that these spiritual gifts were given only in the beginning of the church to convert men, but that they were not to continue with the members of the church, and therefore they were done away. When Jesus appeared to the Nephites upon this continent, he taught them the pure gospel and organized his church. He left this power of the priesthood with his servants here, the same as he had with his servants upon the eastern continent, and the spiritual blessings were enjoyed as long as the church was in existence upon this continent. Moroni understood this so well that these cities gifts must always be found in the church, and if not it would be a sign of unbelief. An elder by the name of James Allen had experienced the gift of tongues and noticed that this gift was diminishing in the church. He wrote an article for the Improvement Era on this subject, Passing of the Gift of Tongues. I was somewhat startled a few days ago, while in conversation with a young brother who had just returned from a mission to Scandinavia, by hearing him remark that he had never in his life heard anyone speak in tongues. This same young brother was reared in Utah. His father and mother, as also he himself, are good Latter-day Saints. He has filled an honorable mission, and is today strong in the faith, and yet, he has never heard and experienced one of the most common gifts of the gospel, as enjoyed years ago. The remark was somewhat of a shock to me because in the early days of the church and dash where I was read and dash there were so many of the saints who enjoyed the gifts and there were none among my acquaintances who had not heard the sweet sound of the gift of tongues. Many times there would be both speaking and singing in tongues in the same sacrament meeting. The interpretation of tongues was equally as common as the tongues themselves. In fact, we were wont to regard the speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the relating of dreams and prophesying, as an essential part of the Latter-day Gospel. These gifts were a great comfort to the new converts. They strengthened our faith, and served as abiding testimonies to many of us. Sometimes we were taken aback a little by them as I have on several occasions known parties to confess faults in their tongue that they were ashamed to confess openly in their natural tongue. One remarkable case of the kind occurred with myself. At the time, I was about 12 years of age, and living seven miles from the meeting house, to which I walked every Sunday. My custom was to be at the meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning some brother would ask me home to dinner. The afternoon meetings were sacrament and testimony meetings. I would, after this meeting, go with some brother to tea and dash the evening meal being called by that name. And after night meeting I would walk home. On this special occasion, I refrained from partaking of the sacrament, as also from bearing my testimony, as was my habit. During the meeting, I sat in misery. I felt that I had sinned, but thought as no one present was cognizant of my fault, I considered it useless to enlighten them as to my fall from grace. However, 
while sitting quietly at the back end of the hall, my body began to swell, so that I feared for the buttons on my clothes. Great drops of sweat stood on my face, and I was thoroughly miserable. The next thing that happened was that I was standing on the floor and talking away, as fast as my tongue could wag. There was no volition in my rising. It seemed as though someone lifted me off my seat, and stood me on my feet. I tried not to talk, but I could not, until the power upon me let me stop. I did not know what I was saying, as the language was strange to me. Went through with a tongue. I sat down exhausted. But now came another trouble. It was the custom, when anyone spake in tongues, that some brother or sister would arise and give the interpretation, but in this case no interpretation was given. After the close of the meeting, a brother asked me to go home to tea with him. On the way to his house, he asked me, did I know the reason why my tongue was not interpreted? No. He said that I had been dancing. Yes. I had been dancing in a public house. Yes. In fact, I had made a full and contrite confession and begged the forgiveness of the saints, promising never to do the like again. He told me that three of the brethren sitting together each had the interpretation, and each had the same interpretation, and the question was, who should arise and give it? No one of them was willing to give it in the meeting. They argued that I was so truly repentant and humble that they thought my punishment was enough. They argued that one of them should take me home to tea and talk to me. At that time I had a companion some years older than myself, who was a great clog dancer. I became infatuated with the dancing. But my dancing would be done on the sidewalk, while Harry would occasionally step into a public house, saloon, and dance for money. I was too pious to dance for money but not too pious to take a full share of what Harry earned. On the occasion of my fall from grace, Harry had remained in the public house so long that I got tired of waiting for him, and stepped in to see if he was not coming. When I got in, Harry was just coming off the floor, and one of the beer drinkers remarked, Here's a little devil that can't dance. Get on the floor and give us a step. I declared that I could not dance, when the man said, you lying little rascal. I've seen you dance many a time. I was about to turn around and leave the house, when Harry looked at me as much as to say, now, Jim, thou gets half. The reproof in his eyes was too much for me, and I danced. But, oh, how wretched I was all that week. I never danced in such a place again. This was a testimony that has never left me, of the power and discernment of the Spirit of God. Many times when assailed by doubts and dash who has not been so assailed, and dash the recollection of that circumstance has come to my aid, 
and I thank God for a never dying testimony. The first person that I ever heard speak in tongues was Lorenz O. D. Barnes, in the year 1842. He died the same year, in England and Dash one of the first, if not the first, American elders to die in a foreign country. I fear that I have made this narrative too long. But I could relate other interesting incidents with regard to the blessed gifts of the gospel. But I fear to be troublesome. There is a question that comes into my mind. If men now think they can get along without the gifts of the gospel, may not a time come when they may believe they can get along without its ordinances? Dr. James Allen, Ogden, Utah, in Era 8, 109-111, Person Pratt also recognized the need for the gifts of the Spirit to attend the true gospel. In 1870 he warned the saints to wake up to the power of God, that these gifts were not to be done away. Is the Holy Ghost given? If it is, all these gifts are given. And if the Latter-day Saints are not in possession of these gifts, they are not in possession of the Gospel and are no better off than the Baptists, Methodists, or Presbyterians, and we all know they have not the Gospel, we all know they have not the power of God among them. They do not believe in it. They say it is done away. We all understand this. Well, Latter-day Saints, you are no better if you have not these gifts. But you have had 41 years experience, and I think you know whether you have them or not. If you have, blessed are you. But if you have them not, it is time you wake up and begin to hunt around for the gospel if it can be found on the earth. Journal of Discourses It is a dangerous time to live when God ceases to bless his people with these precious gifts of the gospel. This faithless scientific age in which we live exhibits the few of the gifts and powers of God. At the time when the works and purposes of God should be the most manifest, it appears that very few of God's blessings are acknowledged or observed. As faith in God dwindles, so do his gifts and powers among men. And the reason why he ceaseth to do miracles among the children of men is because that they dwindle in unbelief, and depart from the right way, and know not the God in whom they should trust. In the early days of both the Christian Church and the LDS Church, the gifts and powers of God were abundant. Gradually, they began to decline. As faith and righteousness decreased, so did the gifts. Moroni warned, and I would exhort you my beloved brethren, that you remember that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that all these gifts of which I have spoken, which are spiritual, never will be done away, even as long as the world shall stand, only according to the unbelief of the children of men. And now I speak unto all the ends of the earth, and ash that if the day cometh that the power and gifts of God shall be done away among you, it shall be because of unbelief. And woe be unto the children of men if this be the case. For there shall be none that doeth good among you, no not one. 
for if there be one among you that doeth good, he shall work by the power and gifts of God. And woe unto them who shall do these things away and die, for they die in their sins, and they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God, and I speak it according to the words of Christ, and I lie not. As faith in God has decreased in the church, so have the gifts and power of God. The decline in the gifts of the Spirit indicates a mark of apostasy. We are treading in the footsteps of the former Christians, who thought, all is well. It is a day of warning and dash and we ourselves have need to take heed of that warning. Chapter 16 Conclusion Chapter 16 Conclusion Okay, so now we're going to go into the commentary portion of the radio show, the reading and commentary both. Um, we, let's see, I'm just going to get to it. We're reading the gifts of God in the true church, chapter 15 of Gift of Tongues, pages 148 to 157. <clears throat> Wherever the miraculous gifts of the Holy Ghost are enjoyed, there the kingdom of God exists. Wherever these gifts are not enjoyed, there the kingdom does not exist. That's from Orson Pratt's works, page 76. The Protestant and Catholic churches say the gifts, powers, and miracles of the church which Christ established were done away because they were no longer needed. But Apostle Orton Pratt denounced that idea. Now, let us see if we can ascertain from the following verses, how long these gifts were to continue in the Christian church. That will settle the question. They were given, said he, for the perfecting of the saints. Before we proceed to the other reasons for which they were given, let us examine this first for a moment. They were given for perfecting of the saints. Very well. These gifts were given for perfecting of the saints. And if you are saints, where are your gifts? For does it not follow that if you have no gifts, you are either perfect saints or not saints at all? For if you are not perfect saints, these gifts must be among you. Do you know any way to perfect saints independent of these gifts? I do not. If the Bible has taught any other way, I have never happened to find it. I know of no way in which saints can be perfected without inspired apostles and prophets and the gifts here named. That's Journal of Discourse, Volume 14, page 180. Brigham Young agreed with this concept, saying, We are asked if signs follow the believer in our day as in days of old. We answer they do. The blind see the lamp lame leap the deaf hear the gift of prophecy is manifest also the gift of healing the gift of revelation the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues jesus said that these signs should follow them that believe his church and kingdom always have these signs which follow the believer in all ages when the true church is in existence do they follow any but believers they do not the gift and power of the holy ghost has enjoyed as enjoyed by the ancient saints and its various manifestations are not received in the faith of modern Christian sects. 
That comes from Journal of Discourse, Volume 12, page 208. Apostle Orson Pratt elaborated on the necessity of these gifts to accompany the true church. The Protestants denounced the Catholics as the mother of harlots, the most wicked and corrupt power on earth. The Catholics denounced the Protestants as heretics and apostates from the true church. The word of God denounces them both as unbelievers because they lack the signs the infidel world denounces the word of God. Because miraculous signs follow neither Catholics nor Protestants who pretend to be believers. The sincere inquirer is almost distracted because he is great, greater doubt in greater doubt whether to believe in, in Catholics, Protestants, infidelity, or the word of God. If signs were given to distinguish the ministers of Christ from imposters, surely the present generation need them if ever they were needed. In the midst of all these conflicting opinions, the humble servant of God comes forth and boldly declares that no church can be the true church unless they obey the words of Christ and enjoy the signs of believers. He testifies with authority that all the promises of Jesus will be fulfilled while there is one believer upon the face of the earth to be perfected and saved. He testifies that all who deny that signs will follow them that believe are unbelievers who, according to the words of Christ, must be damned. That comes from Orson Pratt's works, page 82. As a gift from God, the gift of tongues will remain with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a sign which will always attend the true believers of the Lord until we all come to a unity of the faith. Merely claiming to possess a record of those gifts is not sufficient justification for obtaining salvation, nor is it evidence of truth of true faith. Orson Pratt explains in Journal of Discourse, volume 14, page 290, and also 293, quote, We and other forefathers have a record of that gospel from ancient times unto the present. But a record is one thing, and the power and authority to administer it is another. They are entirely distinct, as much so as the history of a good dinner, enjoyed in ancient days, is distinct from the partaking of that dinner in our day. The history of such an event will not satisfy a man's hunger any more than the mere record of what the everlasting gospel is will confer that authority or the authority to administer its ordinances. We may read when we are very hungry about the three or five thousand eating the loaves and fishes, but our appetite would still remain unsatisfied. It is very good to think that somebody else was fed and had their hunger satisfied, but it does does us no good so far as satisfying the cravings of our own appetites is concerned. So, with regard to the New Testament containing the everlasting gospel, but if these gifts are part of the gospel, you do them away, and you do away with the gospel. End quote from Journal of Discourse, Volume 14, page 290 and page 293. These gifts were very common in the early days of the gospel restoration. As President Brigham Young testified, the gifts of the gospel are given to strengthen the, fa- the faith of the believer. They shall speak with new tongues, saith Jesus. The stranger who is ignorant of our history inqui- inquires, have you the gift of tongues in your church? Yes. And were I permitted, permit it now? Hundreds of the elders and sisters would rise up in this congregation and speak in new tongues and interpret as well as the learned of the age. But I do not permit it. Does the gift of prophecy exist with us? 
this fact is so evident and plain that it appears to us almost a loss of time to talk about it. That comes from Journal of Discourse, Volume 10, page 324. The reason they abound is explained by Matthew Cowley in The Empirical Era, Volume 2, pages 448 and also 449. Quote, the gifts of the Spirit are enjoyed by the saints, not merely in isolated cases, but wherever the saints are united, live in harmony with the Spirit and precepts of the Gospel. It may be said truly that wherever pure faith, unity, and zealous devotion exist, there is no dearth of the gifts of the Gospel. End quote. From Empirical Era, Volume 2, page 448 and also 449. Spiritual gifts must exist in the true Church of Christ. Their absence is an indication of unbelief. As Anthon H. Lund explained, This morning, when Brother John W. Taylor read the testimony of the Prophet Moroni to us, I was much struck with some of the words he read. We were told there that the spiritual gifts should always be found in the church, and that if there came, ever came a time when these gifts were not in the church, it would be on account of unbelief, and a woe was pronounced upon the inhabitants of the earth. If such should be the case, I thought, how clear the prophet Moroni made this, that the church, whenever it is upon the earth, must have the Holy Spirit within it. The members of the church must have this spirit, and the spiritual gifts must be manifested. Otherwise, it would be a dead church. These words are recorded in the Book of Mormon, this wonderful book that has been brought forth by the power of God in our age. This book was printed before there was a church organized, and yet we find these remarkable words in it, which at once furnish the world with a test whereby they can judge if this the church of Christ, if this is the church of Christ or not. It says that in the church there must be found these gifts. Now, if Joseph Smith had not been an inspired man, if the Book of Mormon was not the word of God, but written by man, how careful such a man would have been not to furnish the world with a test like this, whereby they could at once detect whether it was the Church of Christ or not. A man who should fraudulently give himself out to be an inspired man would be careful that such words should not be given to the world. But these were the words of a prophet that lived some 1,400 years before, and one who understood the Church of Christ. When we look back upon this history of the Church, we find that the spiritual gifts were very abundant in the original Church, and that whenever the saints met, they were much blessed with the power of the Spirit. They were so eager to attend their meetings and to speak prophecy and talk in tongues that the Apostle Paul had to regulate their meetings and give them counsel in regard to the manner of conducting them, that order might prevail. The saints were abundantly blessed with these manifestations of the Spirit. But when the apostasy took place, the Spirit of the Lord departed. Its manifestations were fewer, and at last they were not known in the church. Then it was very convenient to teach the people that revelations were no longer needed, that prophets were not needed, that these spiritual gifts were given only in the beginning of the church to convert men, but that they were not to continue with the members of the church, and therefore they were done away. When Jesus appeared to the Nephites upon this continent, he taught them the pure gospel and organized organized his church. He left this power of the priesthood with his servants here, 
the same as he had with his servants upon the eastern continent. And the spiritual blessings were enjoyed as long as the church was in existence upon this continent. Moroni understood this is so well that he said these gifts must always be found in the church. And if not, it would be a sign of unbelief. That comes from Anthon H. Lund, Conference Reports, page 32. An elder by the name of James Allen had experienced the gift of tongues and noticed that the gift was diminishing in the church. He wrote an article for the Improvement Era on this subject. Passing of the Gift of Tongues I was somewhat startled a few days ago while in conversation with the young brother, with a young brother, who had just returned from a mission to Scandinavia. By hearing him remark that he had never in his life heard anyone speak in tongues, this same young brother was reared in Utah. His father and mother, as soon or as also he himself, are good Latter-day Saints. He has filled an honorable mission and is today strong in the faith. And yet he has never heard and experienced one of the most common gifts of the gospel, as enjoyed years ago. The remark was somewhat of a shock to me because in the early days of the church, where I was reared, there were so many of the saints who enjoyed the gifts, and there were none among my acquaintances who had not heard the sweet sound of the gift of tongues. Many times there would be both speaking and singing in tongues in the same sacrament meeting. The interpretation of tongues was equally as common as the tongues themselves. In, in fact, we were wont to regard the speaking in tongues in the interpretation of tongues the relating of dreams and prophesying as an essential part of the Latter-day Gospel. These gifts were a great comfort to the new converts. They strengthened our faith and served as abiding testimonies to many of us. Sometimes we were taken aback a little by them, as I have on several occasions known parties to confess faults in their tongue that they were ashamed to confess openly in their natural tongue. One remarkable case of that kind occurred in myself, with myself. At the time, I was about 12 years of age and living with, living seven miles from the meeting house to which I walked every Sunday. My custom was to be at the meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning. Some brother would ask me home to dinner. The afternoon meetings were sacrament and testimony meetings. I would, after this meeting, go with some brother to tea. The evening meal being called by the, that name and after night meeting, I would walk home. On this special occasion, I refrained from partaking of the sacrament, as also from bearing my testimony, as was my habit. During the meeting, I sat in misery. I felt that I had sinned, but thought, as no one present was cognizant of my fault, I considered it useless to enlighten them as to my fall from grace. However, while sitting quietly in the back end of the hall, my body began to swell so that I feared for the buttons on my clothes. Great drops of sweat stood on my face, and I was thoroughly miserable. The next thing that happened was that I was standing on the floor and talking away as fast as my tongue could wag. There was no volition, volition in my rising. It seemed as though someone lifted me off my seat and stood me on my feet. I tried not to talk, but I could not until the power upon me let me stop. I did not know what I was saying, as the language was strange to me. When through the, with the tongue, I sat down exhausted, 
But now came another trouble. It was the custom when anyone spake in tongues that some brother or sister would arise and give interpretation, but in this case, no interpretation was given. After the close of the meeting, a brother asked me to go home to tea with him. On the way to his house, he asked me, did I know the reason why my tongue was not interpreted? No, he said that I had been dancing. Yes, I had been dancing in a public house. Yes, in fact, I had made a full and contrite confession and begged the forgiveness of the saints, promising never to do the like again. He told me that three of the brethren sitting together, each had the interpretation and each had the same interpretation. And the question was, who should rise and give it? No one of them was willing to give it in the meeting. They argued that I was truly repentant and humble, that they thought my punishment was enough. They argued that one of them should take me home to tea and talk to me. At that time, I had a companion some years older than myself who was a great clog dancer. I became infatuated with the dancing, but my dancing would be done on the sidewalk while Harry would occasionally step into a public house, a saloon, and dance for money. I was too pious to dance for money, but not too pious to take a full share of what Harry earned. On the occasion of my fall from grace, Harry remained in the public house so long that I got tired of waiting for him and stepped in to see if he was not coming. When I got in, Harry was just coming off the floor and one of the beer drinkers remarked, here's a little devil that can dance. Get on the floor and give us a step. I declared that I could not dance. When the man said, you lying little rascal, I've seen you dance so many a time. I was about to turn around and leave the house when Harry looked at me as much as to say, now Jim, thou gets half. The reproof in his eyes was too much for me and I danced, but oh, how wretched I was all that week. I never danced in such a place again. This was a testimony that has never left me of the power and discernment of the spirit of God. Many times when assailed by doubts, who has not been so assailed. The recollection of that circumstance has come to my aid, and I thank God for never dying, for a never dying testimony. The first person that I ever heard speak in tongues was Lorenzo D. Barnes in the year 1842. He died the same year in England, one of the first, if not the first, American elders to die in a foreign country. I fear that I have made this narrative too long, but I could relate other interesting incidents with regard to the blessed gifts of the gospel, but I fear to be troublesome. There is a question that comes into my mind. If men now think they can get along without the gifts of the gospel, may not the time come when they may believe they can get along without its ordinances? That comes from Dr. James Allen, Ogden, Utah, Empirical Era, Volume 8, page 109 through 111. In Journal of Discourse, Volume 14, page 185, it says, Orson Pratt also recognized the need for the gifts of the Spirit to attend the true gospel. In 1870, he warned the saints to wake up to the power of God that these gifts were not to be done away. Is the Holy Ghost given? If it is... All these gifts are given, and if the Latter-day Saints are not in possession of these gifts, they are not in possession of the gospel and are no better off than the Baptists, Methodists, or Presbyterians. 
And we all know they have not the gospel. We all know they have not the power of God among them. They do not believe in it. They say it is done away. We all understand this. Well, Latter-day Saints, you are no better if you have not these gifts. But you have had 41 years experience, and I think you know whether you have them or not. If you have, blessed are ye. But if you have them not, it is time you wake up and begin to hunt around for the gospel if it can be found on the earth. Journal of Discourse, Volume 14, page 185. It is a dangerous time to live when God ceases to bless his people with these precious gifts of the gospel. This faithless scientific age in which we live exhibits but few of the gifts and powers of God. At a time when the works and purposes of God... Oh, I'm sorry. My phone just jumped and I was reading it on the phone. So let me go back in. How come you're not using the book? Oh, I should be using the book, but I didn't find it in there before it stopped. So I was just following the reader program, reading it at the same time. Oh, okay. Um, Anyways. Um, 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 I had to run and get some chicken feed today. Right before I was about to start uh, reading, like where I read, Kim calls me and says, ah, they're going to close at five. Go and get the food. So uh, so that's why Kim's reading today, which is great that she has the time to do it. So. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to continue, or did you have anything that you wanted to add? Um, I was, well, I've been listening the whole time, but, like, Emmett didn't put me, you know, unmute my phone, so. uh, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I've been, like, seriously, Emmett. But anyway, so the phone's unmuted now, and I can talk. Um, The conference report by Anthony H. Lund, I think, where he was like, if these gifts ever leave the church, then the church is dead. Well, like, the modern church, the correlated department, would never, ever talk about the gift of tongues, for one, because it doesn't exist within the church, or these warnings of the early leaders of the LDS church, where they're telling them, you know, Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, they all warned the saints that, you know, certain things were going to happen and, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, there would be certain signs that the church was dead, basically. And, um, you know, that the uh, modern church, they'll always find quotes in the early leaders that are faith-promoting towards the church, not the gospel. They don't warn the people. I mean, Ezra Taft Benson did say that we are under condemnation still, and at least he told them, you know. But, but the modern leaders, they don't warn the people. They just tell them smooth things, which Jeremiah prophesied would happen in the last days among the leaders of the church. 
you know, they, they, they preach smooth things. And, like, um, there was a sister, I was listening to her, uh, her interview, and uh, it's kind of funny because, like, I got done with part three uh, this morning before I got off work, and then I got home and I saw that she friend requested me because uh, we walk among the same circles. Anyway, but she was saying that when she was on her mission that she just wanted to testify of Christ and that she didn't feel comfortable trying to tell people that Russell and Nelson was a prophet, but she just wanted to testify of Christ. And the mission president got very upset at her and was trying to say that she was deceived, that we need to testify of the living prophet and all of this and that, even though... This man has no fruit of being a true prophet, seer, or revelator. And none of them have for a very long time. You know, so they won't, they won't talk about the warnings that the early leaders gave, or they will not talk about Section 124, where Jesus actually says he will reject the church with their dead for disobedience. You know, they won't talk about that. They want you to have faith in an organization and a man on the earth when the scripture says, cursed are all they who place their trust in man. They were supposed to turn to God. And this this righteous sister wanted to do that as a missionary. And she came home early because she couldn't tote the line. And the same reason, well, part of the same reason, um, I was excommunicated when I, I told the, the state president that I, I can sustain President Monson back in 2013 as the president of the church, and I support him. But he kept pressing, and he says, you know, well, sustain him as a prophet, seer, and revelator. And I said, I can't. I don't have a witness that he is a prophet, seer, and revelator. And I was trying to be... You know, trying not to get in trouble, whatever. And he kept pushing, and I said, look, I asked God if he was, because um, I've said it before on the program. I, I, God sent me by the Spirit in person, but he, like, directed me to go to three different regional conferences over the period of, like, I don't know, it was like two or three months, maybe four months. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. And I actually sat really close to Thomas Monson. And this was before he was president of the church. And and he noticed me, and he actually talked about the seat I was sitting in in the conference hall, how somebody had had a heart attack, and there was nobody sitting around me. He specifically talked about the seat that I was sitting in. And he, like, stopped his whole talk and everything. And he's, like, talking about this, and that was weird. So... Um, but then shortly after that, I think a week or two after that, I went to visit my grandparents up in Clifton, Idaho, near Preston. And that's part of the Logan region, I guess. And they had a regional conference. And I, I didn't know it at the time. I just wanted to uh, go visit my grandparents. And I was expecting to go to church with them. And they said, oh, no, it's regional conference this weekend. I was like, oh that sounds fun. I want to go. And they stayed home and I went and I, I followed some people and sat down near these other people really close to president Monson, who was first counselor of the church at the time. And uh, it was right by the choir, right behind the podium. And anyway, so uh, 
Wow. All right, some guy just pulled out in front of me. Anyway, like, hey, guess what? There's a semi-truck here. Like, do you have a death wish? You know, luckily I was looking and paying attention. Anyway, so um, so I go and I sit with the, uh, you know, right next to the choir behind the, the podium. And President Monson, like, went up and he didn't see me. And he gave his whole talk, and it was really good. And, in fact, uh, Elder Von J. Featherstone was there, too, my favorite. Love him. And I love their talks. And he, he, as he's walking back to his seat, he, like, sees me. Now, he had seen me, like, a week or two before that at the other conference. So he, like, stops, and he stares at me, and but whatever. And, um, and then he, like, went and sat down. And then, like, after the meeting, like, everybody was going up and shaking his hand and all this stuff. And he kept on looking over and staring at me. And problem with President Monson, because it seems like every time he would speak, he was, like, trying to get you to have tear-jerking moments with his little stories about sugar cookies and widows. <laughs> so, anyway, so um, – I asked God, is he really a prophet, seer, and revelator? And God spoke to me, the Father, and he said, no, he's a steward over the church until he whose right it is to rule and reign comes. And so I have that testimony that he is not a prophet, seer, and revelator, and I suspected it to begin with. Good morning. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, I love my friend Roper. He's silly. Anyway, he's another truck driver. But whatever. Anyway, so um, so I couldn't testify that he was a prophet, seer, or revelator, but I did, you know, sustain him as as president of the church. And I told that stake president that, oh, my gosh, between that and the other things I said to him, he grew so beet red. He was angry. He was yelling. Like, how dare I? I'm an apostate. I didn't share this stuff with people in the church. Okay, but he had to push the issue, and I'm not going to lie, you know. So I was kicked out of the church. And this other woman, she was sent home on permission because she wanted to testify of Christ and the restoration, but she did not feel comfortable testifying of Russell M. Nelson as a prophet here and revelator. So she was cast out of her mission, went through all the shame of, of having to deal with that. You know, and that's the church has these leaders. They are more interested in telling everybody about how wonderful their current guy is, you know, and they will not talk about any of these warnings like Anthony B. or Anthony H. Lund talked about or Brigham Young talked about or Heber C. Kimball talked about, or um, Jay Golden Kimball talked about, you know. And so, like, when you when you quote these things, like in my LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions group or the other groups that I'm an admin in, they will fly to pieces like glass when you share these quotes because how horrible they are uh, that – you know, that these leaders, like, that's a fake quote, blah, blah, blah. It's in the church history, you know, doctrinal history of the church, the journals of Brigham Young, Hebrew C. Kimball, 
correlated history of the church, teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith even has some stuff, you know, and so these modern leaders want you to follow them when a true prophet of God will point to God. He will testify of his experiences and not be all secretive about it, especially with the members of the church, because uh, contrary to what they say, you are not swine. We don't share, we don't share, we don't cast our, our pearls before swine. That's the, in the church, like they say, oh, don't share your personal sacred experiences. You know, they're too sacred to talk about. Well, it's because they don't have them and they don't want some member upstaging them. So, um, and then I'll say one last thing before I mute myself again. <sighs> In Matthew chapter 24, it talks about the last days, and it talks about how the eagles gather around the carcass. The interpretation, what Jesus was talking about, was that the church would die and that the elect would feed off the meat of the dead church. And part of the evidence of that is that these gifts that were so prevalent in the beginning of the restoration eventually dwindled down and died out, and now you don't hear of it. I had one person, one experience where I was at a church back east during my over-the-road trucking years, and there was a woman who did get up in the aisle and speak in tongues. And I thought that that was kind of interesting because, you know, that is one of the gifts. And when I, after the meeting, I asked, you know, about her, the woman who did this, and the members that I talked to said, oh, she's crazy. She does that sometimes. You know, but she's crazy. They didn't excommunicate her, but she's crazy. If I get up in a LDS congregation and speak in tongues, they will reprimand me for that more often than not. They, they quench the gifts if they come, and they don't come very often, if at all. And in 2013, God severed the ordinances in the priesthood of all the holy people, which is talked about in Daniel chapter 12. That happened July 15, 2013. So I do not believe that these gifts are at all in the church at this point anymore because they have been cursed and rejected, and they're under condemnation to begin with. So, And Jesus said that they would be rejected if they were disobedient in section 124, and they have been, and they make excuses, and they don't live what God has told them to live. So anyway, go ahead, Kim. I'll mute myself. Okay. Continuing on, this faithless scientific age in which we live exhibits but few of the gifts and powers of God. Sorry, I was taking a drink. (laughs) At a time when the works and purposes of God should be the most manifest, it appears that very few of God's blessings are acknowledged or observed. As faith in God dwindles, 
so do his gifts and powers among men. And the reason why he ceases, ceases, sorry, ceases to do miracles among the children of men is because that they dwindle in unbelief and depart from the right way and know not the God in whom they should trust. That comes from Mormon chapter 9, verse 20. In the early days of both the Christian church and the LDS church, the gifts and powers of God were abundant. Gradually, they began to decline. As faith and righteousness decreased, so did the gifts Moroni warned. Um, gifts Moroni warned. <laughs> and I would exhort you, my beloved brethren, that ye remember that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that all these gifts of which I have spoken, which are spiritual, never will be done away, even as long as the world shall stand, only according to the unbelief of the children of men. And now I speak unto all the ends of the earth, that if the day cometh that the power and gifts of God shall be done away among you, it shall be because of unbelief. And woe be unto the children of men, if this be the case, for there shall be none that doeth good among you. No, not one. For if there be one among you that doeth good, he shall work by the power and gifts of God. And woe unto them who shall do these things away and die. For they die in their sins, and they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. And I speak it according to the words of Christ, and I lie not. Moroni chapter 10, verses 19, and also verses 24 through 26. As faith in God has decreased in the church, so have the gifts and power of God. The decline in the gifts of the Spirit indicates a mark of apostasy. We are treading in the footsteps of the former Christians who thought all is well. It is a day of warning, and we ourselves have need to take heed of that warning. And next time we'll be on chapter 16, the conclusion, on page 158 of the gifts of God in the true church. Yeah, and I wanted to do that chapter today. I just didn't have time. So we'll do that on Monday. Uh, We will not be doing a program tomorrow. We are going up to Lehigh to uh, be with uh, our friends for Passover. And, uh, yeah, so that's what we're going to do this weekend. Um, Passover begins Friday night at sundown, and it ends Saturday. uh, No. So, yeah, no, it's it's Saturday night at sundown, and it begins, or it ends at Sunday night at sundown. So, um, I'm not working Sunday either, so I should be able to to get that all prepared and ready to go by 6 p.m. on Monday night. Also, that same night, uh, Bill Davis will be doing an Isaiah chapter at doctrineofchrist.com or thedoctrineofchrist.com. They're on both. They have two websites. Anyway, uh, and that'll be a Zoom call that starts at 8 p.m., and I do enjoy what he says. I don't agree with everything that he says, but I think that for the most part what he is doing is good, although, like I said, there's some things that just, uh, I just, I don't even know. I can't even now. Anyway, all right, so um, my daughter, Amberly, our seven-year-old, and I think Eliza, our eight-year-old, wanted to read something, 
So, um, but also there was uh, the second half of that chapter that we were reading yesterday on how to qualify for the celestial kingdom today. So, um, what did you want to do? Did you want to do the the blue book, or did you want um, yep. Amberly and Eliza? Yep. How to qualify for the celestial kingdom today, and. Uh-huh. Um, we will keep in mind that this daughter is a really good reader um, for her age, but she is seven years old, and she really has been practicing, and she wants to read on Dad's radio show. <laughs> She's like, how do we do this? Okay. So I am going to put my phone on speakerphone, so bear with me for one moment, everyone. Okay, can you still hear me? Hello. I can hear you just fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Say hi, Amberly. Hi. Okay. So Amberly is going to start reading. Um, hi. And how, how to <laughs> and how to qualify for the celestial kingdom today. And it's going to be on page one hundred and nineteen, and she's going to talk about revelation and prayer, or read about revelation and prayer. Yep, that one right there. Good job. In what sermon? Oh, you have to talk into the mic a little bit right here. Can you hear her? Okay, she's kind of quiet. Yeah, I can hear her fine. Okay. Dimension. 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 Okay, it's really hard to hear her now. Thinking. You have to talk loud. In, in what dimension, dimension. Yep. of one begins being to prayer and revolution take place? Good job really loud. Uh, and uh, what? Uh, I just said, yep, you're doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Keep going. Yeah. These songs. Loud. These songs? Receive. Receive. Yes. Is accomplished in the imagination and the heart. I find so it is yes. Good. So what she's reading now is kind of in um, cursive writing, so it's a little bit harder to see. So she's doing good. Be open unto you. Matthew 77. Good job. No. I, After this? Kim. You, hold yeah. on, uh, Amberly. Um, I told you before I left, if they're going to read, they need to read from that children's Bible thing. Oh, you want them to read from that? Well, that's what I said before I left, and that's what I just got done saying. I said, you know, do you want to read the How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom? You was doing pretty good, but yeah. Um, Eliza, bring over your book. 
and I told them to end you to find something that you guys wanted to read in that book and that you could read if you chose to. But I wanted you, Kim, to read this chapter. Okay, Amberly, if you guys want to read um, in your Bible stories book, then you can do that. Okay, she said she doesn't want to. She's really been practicing. And Eliza said, I read this book twice. (laughs) So I'll read. Hold on. (laughs) Okay, tell Amberly, find a a story that she wants to read. Okay, find a a story that she wants to read in her book while while you are... Yeah, and after you're done reading the thing that we have to finish that chapter, she can read after that. Um, yeah, and find find a story that she wants to read, and then she can practice reading it over by Emmett. And then when you're ready, Kim, um, Emmett can give her his headset so we can hear her better. Okay, yeah. It's kind and of then she can read... It is. So. Yeah. so also, she has like a ahead. really high pitched voice, so it's harder to hear her. Yeah. Um, she does well, not she want to read the child's book. She's been trying. Yeah, she's been trying really hard to practice reading the other words, and she's actually really good for her age. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's hard to hear her still. Yep. <laughs> well. It's hard to hear her, and um, yep, we'll never get through this chapter. I know. Such so, is the life of my job. We don't get through things. We read with little kids. <laughs> yes, and that's fine. And um, so Eliza's in third grade, right? And Amberly's yep. in first grade, and they both read really well. And one thing that I think is great about our family is that we all read except for Arius that he pretends to read. So we'll 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 take that for the two year old. <laughs> He's so yeah. silly. But uh, Well let yeah, me um go uh, ahead and read this book. I'll keep reading um where she's left off and we'll see what she does what she wants to do after that. So she was reading Revelation and Prayer. It says, in what dimensions of one's being do prayer and revelation take place? Ask and ye shall receive. This is accomplished in the imagination and the heart. Seek and ye shall find. So is this. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. That's Matthew 7, 7. After one has asked and sought for the revelation, he can act in the physical world and bring his prayer into being. One who doesn't pray with real intent will never receive an answer from heaven. One must pray in faith, believing he will receive, which takes the full use of one's mind and feelings of the heart. Heavenly Father knows what one needs before he asks. Matthew 6, 8. Emmett, do you have any of those pulled up? Matthew 6, 8. But it takes all the energy of the heart for one to have the faith to bring about the answers to his prayers. This denotes that concentration is needed. That is, one needs to run the prayer through his mind and heart many times in order to reach a level of faith for its realization. 
Do you have it? Are you trying to have it? How does Heavenly Father answer our prayers and give us revelation? Yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. That's D&C, chapter 8, verse 2. The Savior gives us further insight on how to pray and feel revelation. Behold, you have not understood. You have supposed that I would give it unto you when you took no thought, save it was to ask me. It doesn't sound like the heart or imagination was involved in this prayer. But behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind. Then you must ask me if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom heart shall burn within you. Therefore, you shall feel that it is right. But if it be not right, you shall have no such feeling. But you shall have a stupor of thought that shall cause you to forget the thing which is wrong. D&C, chapter 9, verse 7 through 9. Alma also reviews what happens to man as he seeks for the truth and receives direction from heaven. Alma 32:28 says, It must needs to be the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul, spiritual, Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding, mind. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious, heart, to me. Alma thirty-two twenty-eight. How to control the mind. The mind can only entertain one thought at a time. Therefore, if one sets his mind on a goal and becomes emotional about it, it seems that he will find it easier to make decisions as well as to control his mind. When a person wants to buy a home and he gets excited about it, the mind is able to see all the for sale signs along the street. If a person wants a new car, his mind will attract that brand new car, or that brand of car, which previously went unnoticed. According to Nephi, one has the choice between two goals, liberty and eternal life, or captivity and death. In Second Nephi chapter 2, verse 27... And it will read that. What, Emmett? I accidentally closed the studio when I was trying to open up the thing that I was going to do. Okay, he will read it in a minute. If I choose to walk in the straight and narrow path and gain eternal life, my perception and reaction to a negative situation could be quite different than if I had not set that goal. For example, if someone condemned me, found fault with me, or embarrassed me and I had no spiritual goal, these negative feelings would remain with me for some time. But if my mind and heart were centered on God and Christ, and I felt the companionship of the Holy Ghost, then I would react differently. When the negative feelings were felt, I would feel the Spirit leave and would then choose to think of God, forgive the people involved, and feel the peace and joy again as the Spirit returned. How would I do it? by changing the thoughts of my mind from the negative circumstances to the love I have for my Father in Heaven. If my feelings for Heavenly Father are stronger than my feelings of rejection, then love for this person who rejects me can dominate my being, and I will be in control again. Emmett, do you have it yet? Yeah. It was 2 Nephi 2.27, you said? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Hold on. Okay. 
There you go. Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the capacity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. As one develops a closer spiritual relationship with Heavenly Father, these emotions become stronger and stronger. And as the emotions gradually grow stronger, it becomes easier to overcome negative experiences by changing the focus of one's mind to dwell on God and his love. Another example could be with the same problem of rejection. But this time, while the person was in the midst of these negative feelings, someone gave him a thousand, or a hundred, I'm sorry, <clears throat> gave him a million dollars. I am sure his feelings would change quickly. What produces the change? His mind changed from the negative situation to the positive scene of spending the money. And the emotions followed the mind. That is the excitement of having a million dollars and all the things one can do with it. Wood did not, or would, okay, oh my goodness. <laughs> the excitement of having a million dollars and all the things one can do with it would dominate the feelings of rejection. He would not repeatedly be running negative feelings through his mind and heart, which is necessary if one is going to sustain negative feelings. Setting goals that have great importance can help a person control his mind and heart and what he says and does. For example, a person desires with all his heart and mind to gain eternal life. He thus spends several minutes each day imagining himself receiving the gift of eternal life from the Savior. He has set many other goals, but each relates to this all-consuming goal. Here are a few of them. Full-time mission, temple marriage, walk by the Spirit daily, increase in knowledge and intelligence, keep physically fit, love all persons, serve God when called, and become financially independent. What effect would these spiritual goals have on the following actions? If telling a lie will help him gain his goal of increased income, what would he decide? When his body demanded more food, which wasn't necessary, would he give in to the flesh or would he seek to become like God and bring the appetites, desires, and passions of the flesh under control? As he studied the scriptures, would he study to get it done or use this time to feel God's spirit. As he felt the joy of the Holy Ghost, would he go to an R or X rated movie where he would lose it? When someone found fault with him and he felt low, would he seek the help of God or would he reject himself and others? As he carried a prayer in his heart throughout the day, would he be patient or impatient? As adversities came into his life, would he humbly seek God and overcome, or would he reject all spiritual things and feel like a failure? When he did home teaching, would he do it so the elders quorum president would feel good about him or because of the love he felt for his father in heaven? It is easy to answer the above questions correctly. The problem is living in this world and doing all the things one knows is, one knows is right and having enough time and energy to do all that one knows is right. This leads us into our suggested solution, and that is how to keep all the commandments today and enjoy it. How to keep all the commandments. When I am conducting firesides or worships or workshops, I, feel, I frequently ask, 
what it takes for one to qualify for the celestial kingdom. The answer that is given most often is that one must keep all the commandments. Then I ask, who here is keeping all the commandments? No one raises their hand. Therefore, it looks like no one will qualify for the celestial kingdom. But this cannot be. There must be something wrong with our perception, since most Latter-day Saints have negative feelings when they are told they must keep all the commandments in order to be saved. Let's see if we can clear up our perception so we can feel peace as we press forward in the straight and narrow path and keep all the commandments. First, let us review some of the scriptures on the importance of the commandments. Second, 1 Nephi 17 verse 3 says, And thus we see that the commandments of God must be fulfilled. And in D&C 132 it says, Nevertheless, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. And John 14, verse 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. In D&C 93, verse 20, it says, For if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of his fullness and be glorified in one as I am in, my, in the Father. And in D&C 58, 26, it states, For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things, for he that is compelled in all things, the same is a slothful and not a wise servant, wherefore he receiveth no reward. Deuteronomy 6:17 says, Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies and his statutes, which he hath commanded thee. And James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. DNC 42.29 says, If thou lovest me, thou shalt serve me and keep all my commandments. Now speaking of all of this and talking about our assignment, please take the time and do each step as suggested before going on to the next chapter. This solution, or going on to the next step, sorry. This solution needs to be experienced and not just understood. So, step one, take a sheet of paper, list all the laws, ordinances, and commandments you feel are necessary for you to qualify for the celestial kingdom. Note, do the above under the guidance of the Holy Ghost. See the Appendix A for one group's list. Step two. Ask Heavenly Father to help you check off those items in your list that you are currently living or have completed. For example, baptism, tithing, word of wisdom, sacrament meeting, attendance, etc. could be checked off. Then, step three. Ask Heavenly Father to help you check off those items in your list, which you need not be concerned about for the next 30 to 90 days, even though you may not be fulfilling them currently. Note, Will Heavenly Father really tell us not to work on a law or commandment? If I am sick, will he approve my missing sacrament meeting? If my wife is ready to walk out and leave me, should I stay home from priesthood meeting and try to save my marriage? If my neighbor's son was put in jail this morning and I am asked to go and comfort him, would it be all right to miss priesthood meeting? In the eyes of some others, in the eyes of some others, it may not be right, but God would approve. Let me show you how to carry out step three. First, find out how much free time you have 
each day to work on more commandments, etc. For example, each day you might do the following. Sleep eight hours, work eight hours, eat, dress, etc. Two hours. Interruptions, two hours. Scripture study, family home evening, two hours. Garden, TV, newspaper, two hours. That is an amazing list, and I wish I had that list. I'm sure that Mark is saying the same thing. <clears throat> In total, that's 24 I'm just hours. I'm sitting here laughing. I know. Laughing. Like, sure. Like, oh, That's wow. Gonna I happen. wish I could sleep eight hours. I wish I only had to work eight hours. I, you know, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, my and in my list, there's driving is two hours <laughs> to get there and back every day. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of time taken up for that. So then there is no time for all the other things. And I'm trying to do, like, scripture study, family, home meeting kind of things at the same time doing this, but my interruptions are so great with farm that I don't even have garden time or anything. And my eat and dress, holy cow, do I get two hours to do that? I don't think so. That's a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. Anyways, it, it continues on in saying, in that schedule you can find one or two hours per day that you can work on keeping more laws and commandments, assuming you have any energy left. Well, that's a good assumption. Second, ask Heavenly Father to help you select those laws, ordinances, commandments, or suggestions that would be of most worth to you and would most help your family's spiritual growth over the next 30 to 90 days. Keep in mind how much time you have to work on them. I'll keep that in mind. Third, those items on your list that have not been checked off or selected are the ones Heavenly Father suggests you not worry about in the next 30 to 90 days. It's basically that simple. It sounds so simple. How come there's no time on this list that says anything about cleaning or cooking? Oh, that must be the two hours from eating and getting dressed and etc. That's got to be the cooking and cleaning up. Yeah, I don't think so. Step four. Take the list of commandments that you are going to work on over the next 30 to 90 days and put them in order of importance. If you have five items, find out which one would be of most worth to your spiritual growth right now, which one would be second, and so forth. Step five. Yes? I'm going to Huntington. Sounds fun. I'm going up to Rhino to get a backhaul. Yay, about uh, I was just laughing at the two hours, and I was like, uh, let's see, five kids, 12 goats, all of the goats like to escape all the time if they can, 30 chickens. Now we'll have, how many chickens do you have, uh, baby chicks? So far, we have yes. 19. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we're going to have 49 chickens. Kimberly. No, because I am going to I'm going to make meat of those birds. Oh, okay. I'm gonna We're going to get that. It's going to happen. We're going to eat them. Sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We'll see. Anyway, uh, and then a bunch of cats, some kittens, a dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, two hours. Wow. That would be, that would be great if it was just two hours. But anyway, you know, um, James B. Cox, he only had, well, actually, I can't remember now. I think he had five kids. He did not have a farm, though. 
you know, he had a nice house down in Santa Clara, Utah by St. George. But uh, he didn't have all of the fun stuff. And he was an accountant, so, like, he had a nice house. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, yeah, I I miss him. Anyway, okay, <laughs> I'll mute myself again. No worries. Thanks for the break. Step five. <laughs> Use the formula of prayer to receive guidance on the various ways you can live these laws and enjoy them. We need lots of guidance. That's what we should do. As you receive many suggestions to implement the commandments, ask Heavenly Father to help you prioritize them. Step six. Now you are ready to work on commandment number one and activity number one for today. But first, let us review the purpose of the commandments so we can maximize our efforts. The purpose of the commandments. One can do all of the commandments and still not gain salvation. The focus must not be on the commandment, but on gaining salvation and growing spiritually. The commandments are designed to affect spiritual growth. Therefore, if one's priority is studying the scriptures this month, the intent is to help him grow spiritually. If he does scripture reading and checks it off his list, but doesn't seek spiritual guidance and doesn't feel love from Heavenly Father, it is of little value. In fact, the focus in this case would only be on his feeling better because he is doing a commandment. His guilt feelings would decrease. He would feel better as a person of worse. But all of this would negatively affect his spiritual growth because his feelings of self-worth are being built upon worldly performance, which is a sandy foundation. If a person can affect spiritual growth by doing one more commandment, it is not necessary that he do 10 more. In fact, if he tried to improve in a 10 more, in 10 more today, it would negate his spiritual growth. I know people who try to improve in 10 commandments all at once, along with work, exercise, sleep, church commitments, family activities, yard work, and on and on, and all they accomplish is to become frustrated and discouraged. In fact, if they had watched closely, they would have known when the Spirit left them. Their focus was on doing more commandments, not affecting spiritual growth. Let us assume your 30 to 90 day inspired list was as follows. Number one, scripture study. That's a good beginner. Number two, family home evening. Family is very important. Number three, temple work. We will not talk about that. Number four, gardening. I love it. This is a great list. Number five, life history. Okay. I have no idea. If you concentrated on scripture study, and that was the only one you improved on over the next 30 days, meaning you felt spiritual growth, would it help you when you got the chance to work on the other four items? Very definitely. Because of your spiritual growth, it would help you have better family home evenings, provide increased spiritual energy to do temple work, help you feel greater love for Heavenly Father as you worked in the garden, and help you gain spiritual insight to record your life history. Therefore, as you did number one correctly, you also improved in all five areas. That sounds amazing and now I understand the whole life history thing which I should do I need to write a book it's great basic philosophy (laughs) 
<laughs> I may not be doing all the laws, ordinances, suggestions, and commandments today, but I am keeping all the commandments today. The purpose of the commandments is to help one grow spiritually, to feel the influence of the Holy Ghost daily, to feel more spiritually alive and in tune with Heavenly Father. One will feel God's love for him and God's love for his fellow man. He will be patient, loving, giving, and most of all, he will feel at peace. No longer will he use the commandments to measure his worth, but he will feel the commandments are the steps he can use to draw closer to his heavenly father. He will come to love the laws of God and seek to use them to grow spiritually as he is taught by the spirit. He will not measure his progress by comparing his performance or lack of performance with that of others. For he will know each person can achieve salvation as each seeks the guidance of the Spirit. This basic philosophy was taught by the Savior when he counseled the Pharisees. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Mark 2:27. The same can be said of the gospel itself and of all the commandments. Were you trying to look that up in its entirety? I realize that after. That is in its entirety. Okay, just making sure. And it was trying to look up that scripture, but that was the entire scripture. Also, I'm sorry about the banging noises and the clicking. Um, the two-year-old is bringing, I think, a piano up and down the stairs and dropping it down the stairs. And I keep clicking my hands at the older two kids because, you know, Emmett's like half playing on his phone and, and not really doing anything. And then um, Olivia is also doing the same thing, and I don't even know where she is. So I snap my fingers because I'm like, I'm reading. Can you, you know, take away the, um, what is it that he's dropping, a piano? The yeah, the keyboard. Don't drop it down the stairs, please. You know, or then he came and sat right next to me and started playing it. It sounded amazing. Anyways, let's talk about step seven. Each week, review the list with Heavenly Father to see if the priority has changed. If it hasn't changed, then continue to work on your list of activities, which will help you experience the joy of keeping that law. When you attend meetings or read the Ensign magazine or listen to conference and you hear something that affects your salvation, make sure it is on your list. If not, then add it on. Next, check with Heavenly Father to see if it ought to be on your priority list for your spiritual progression. If you do not feel impressed that it ought to replace one of your priority commandments, then keep working on your list as before. Hold on just one moment. Sorry. By following these steps, one will feel good about keeping all the commandments because he is being directed by the Spirit. He will not fear any new thoughts given by the brethren on doing what the Lord says. And when someone says to keep all the commandments, he will feel peace and joy in his heart, for he knows that all commandments are given to help him grow spiritually. That's DNC 2935. And prepare himself to dwell in the celestial kingdom. Also DNC 8834 through 39. We have this life and the millennium to learn to keep all the laws, ordinances, suggestions, and commandments necessary to become exalted. The key of this life is to press forward in the straight and narrow path under the influence of the Holy Ghost, and by doing so, we will walk in the light and avoid spiritual darkness. If you keep my commandments, 
the love of the Father shall not continue with you. Therefore, you shall walk in darkness. That's D&C 95, verse 12. The commandments are given to help us draw near unto God and abide... DNC ninety five twelve. If you keep not my yeah, commandments. Oh, okay. I didn't hear the word not. I was like, if you keep my commandments, the spirit will you know, I'm like, uh what? Oh maybe what? I Wait did now? say not. Maybe I didn't <laughs> say it. I don't know. You, when you said you that not, I'm like, maybe I did not say, say it. Not. You not Okay, say well not. we just negated it like <laughs> over twelve <laughs> I think we double negated. I think uh, we quadruple negated it. <laughs> I something. <laughs> okay, uh, let me make sure that I said it right. If you keep not <laughs> my commandments, in other words, if you do not keep my commandments, the love of the Father shall not continue with you. Therefore, you shall walk in darkness. Does that make any better sense? Very good. <laughs> yes, it makes okay. perfect sense. So I'm you. just trying to figure out what Emmett gave me for food because uh, I'm not sure what this this stuff is here. <laughs> well, you got steak, so you're welcome. He made three of them for steak. you today. Where, where is it? Uh, he said he gave it to you before you left also. Uh, I see wraps. Did you okay, eat stuff? whatever. I'm just trying to put the stuff where it goes. So for the listening audience, I have a heater box with me. So my son will make me food, and then uh, when I get to the truck, I'll plug in this heater box, and it'll keep it warm until I get around to eating it. And uh, anyway, so I was just trying to get the stuff out of the cooler and put them all, everything where it's supposed to go. And, uh, yeah, I'm just interrupting the, the meeting. You know, don't mind me. I'll mute myself. Sorry, I'm <laughs> ridiculous. I know. The commandments are given to help us draw near unto God and abide in his love. That's John 15:10. They are to prepare us to be lifted up at the last days, DNC 5:22 and 35 and be forgiven. DNC 58:42 and 43. The commandments were not designed to be used to condemn ourselves or others. James chapter 4:11 and 12. Those who fear the commandments do not see clearly and have developed a confused perception of the gospel. The commandments are desirable and they bring joy and peace into one's life. To live the commandments is to know God and his son. Heavenly Father does not ask us to keep the commandments so he can love us more, but so we can feel his love more. John 15:10. I know members who are divorced and are raising children. They are working eight hours per day, earning a living. Then they come home and work another four to six hours, do church assignments, and then condemn themselves because they are not keeping their journals. Heavenly Father is grateful if they can endure the load of earning a living and raising the children, let alone trying to jog, plant a garden, write their life histories, do genealogy, attend the temple, and do community service. Satan keeps pointing out, all the laws, ordinances, suggestions, and commandments, we are not living, as if it were possible for us to do them, all today. The Savior suggests that we seek to grow spiritually, and by doing so, our light will grow brighter and brighter until the perfect day. DNC 5024. 
Spiritual growth is a process, and the laws, ordinances, suggestions, and commandments help us to grow spiritually. As we concentrate on improving and keeping the commandments and walking by the Holy Ghost, we are in the straight and narrow path that leads unto life. If one is trying to do a perfect, to do a perfect, it says, okay, that's great. If one is trying to do a perfect by telling himself that he should do all the laws, ordinances, suggestions, and commandments, and suggestions today, does this attitude bring peace and, and joy or anxiety and frustration? He who expects himself to do a perfect today is relying on himself to do it, and it is impossible for him to do it alone. He has set an expectation level to jump over rather than seeking God's counsel on his spiritual growth. That's Jacob chapter 4, verse 10. Those who seek to improve by the Spirit testify of peace and joy as they journey up the path. Those who expect perfection today testify of feelings of inadequacy, frustration, anger, and other negative feelings. May each of us seek to be directed by the Spirit and bring joy and peace into our hearts, which we so richly deserve. Okay, so then, section 4 perceptions that affect my spiritual growth we are going to because that I feel like maybe it wasn't um, very long but I think that was a huge chunk of something that we all need to work on and so um, I while I have that fresh in my mind I don't want to fog it a little bit with the next section and we can go into that afterwards so first we need to make our list and um, go through the steps one through seven Um, to act upon trying to keep all the commandments, just beginning with the first few for the next 30 to 90 days, and we shall see how it goes. I know one of the things I'm going to work on is being punctual and being on time. A lot of times I am late for work. I am late for many things, the church things, I walk in late because I'm always like, okay, we can do this. We can do this all now. And I'm constantly trying to get everybody quickly, quickly, let's do this, let's do that. And so I'm when we get home, like for example right now, um, there are certain things that absolutely need to be done right now. If they're not getting done right now, then when I get up in the morning and um, get everybody awake and moving, which is also a chore and a half to try to get them to actually keep, you know, start going and moving and getting things done in the morning. Um, It makes it faster if we are prepared the night before, because if not, it just spirals. So I'm going to work on that, my time, because I feel like once we can work on the time schedule, then we'll be able to um, also note the times and the the um, moments that we can spare if we make our life more punctual, then we could maybe squeeze in a few moments in between to add um, more, um, I think, things on our list to work towards the commandments or doing keeping the commandments. One of the things that I like to do that I've been trying a little bit more to do is actually the reading because it helps me with my spiritual mindset and also with scripture studying, and which I love to do. I love reading scriptures. The extra books and stuff, I love to read extra books, like all of these books that we're doing. But my favorite has always been D&C. I, I like to read the Bible also, though. So, um, yeah. 
So that's my huge long spiel on that. I'm going to um, stop tonight, and then I will read more of that tomorrow. Go ahead. So when we're done with this book, I have been thinking for a couple of months now about just going through the Doctrine and Covenants and just reading it, like, out loud and kind of talking about each of the different sections. And um, I know that you would like to do that as a private thing, but uh, I don't know. I just think it would be something that would I be love reading D&C, like when we were first dating. Yeah. Do you remember? I love it. It's my favorite. Yeah. We should totally do that. Every day after work. So Kim lived in New Hampshire. I lived in near Tampa, Florida. And every day after work, I would call her and I'd go sit on the picnic table at where the work was. And we would just read the Doctrine and Covenants over the phone and talk about things. That was nice. I really liked it. I really enjoyed that time that we got to spend every day just talking, talking about spiritual things and reading scriptures together. It was nice. But yep, it would and that's also kind of what nice this reminds me of. More. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I want like to. Olivia you don't Wong. see it as much as I do, but um, Eliza brings scriptures with her in the car. She reads them um, to school in the morning, and she loves it when we have on K-Love <laughs> because it has a lot of um, songs about God, and she loves to sing them. She loves to sing um, religious music and God-fearing music. Okay, sorry yeah. for the, yeah, it has to be quiet for a sorry. minute. Now all four of them are right here in the room with me, and Arius is showing me a monster, and the other girls are supposed to be getting their stuff ready for tomorrow, but, um, yeah. oh, they're trying to show it to me. Yes. Remember Olivia and her Book of Mormon and all her yeah, stuff. Yeah, she used to take it to her babysitters. She'd yes. take it everywhere. She slept with her Book of Mormon. Oh, yeah. Well, she would sleep on the floor with her Book of Mormon because her bed was completely covered with stuffed animals. And they needed yeah. to sleep on her bed. And we'd always go in there in the morning, and she would be like half on the bed, half off the bed, or completely off the bed with her Book of Mormon laying on all of her stuffed animals or on the floor. <laughs> That's when she was like three, four, five. I was just telling her that you're talking about her, and she's like, what is he saying? <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> yeah, now she's 13, and she has asked Mom, why we need to do scripture study, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she actually does um, sometimes sit here and listen while we're talking and doing stuff. She's in here right now. But that also depends what the two-year-old and the other two are doing at the same time while we're doing this. Um, I actually have, I had this really great idea, and I guess I will let the whole audience know. Um, while I was reading, we have a whole bunch of the old friend magazines that somebody was trying to get rid of, and Mark picked up. They threw them away. And he, 
Yeah, they threw them away. There was and he picked them up. Them. Well, I never got rid of them. And I always, I don't get rid of his things because I'm like, it's not mine to get rid of, it's his. So I put them in okay. his storage unit, also known as the motorhome. And I put them <laughs> up in in the, um, what is it called? In the cupboards in there. And so while yeah. I was reading, all of a sudden I had this uh, epiphany or whatever. And I was like, oh, come here, come here, come here. And I made um, Emmett come over to me, and I told him to go out to the motorhome and look up in the cabinet there, like behind where the driver's seat is, and there are totes, like boxes, of uh, friend magazines still in there that I never got rid of. And then Amberly and Eliza could read those stories, and then they could read them on your radio program. Oh, that'd be nice. I know, right? It was so. It was yeah. a great idea. I thought. <laughs> so that's what I was like. Oh, go find those. So then he went out, and um, I haven't seen him yet. <laughs> but anyway, so that was my idea, and I think that maybe we'll start a section of our reading. Will be, you know, um, Mark, when you do your section, then I will do mine, which is usually this: how to qualify for the celestial kingdom. Right now, that's what I'm reading anyway. And then we can do one with the kids, and they can read that afterwards if they are ready and they have their stuff done so maybe we'll have to do that you know one or two nights a week yeah. we'll just see how and it goes can practice reading out loud which will help them in their you know school yeah and it'll be great and we'll like we'll get little lessons from our our kids yeah family magazine. time it's a great idea so. mm-hmm. yep so uh okay well uh, we don't What's up? Yeah. I was going to say, as for today, we are not doing that right now. So I was going to say, we're all finished for tonight. I have a lot of things that I still have to get ready and done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, part of the problem with the mornings is uh, trying to get everything done at night, and then you're exhausted because you wake up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm exhausted by the time I get home. And, yep. uh it just makes everything more difficult when things aren't prepared the night before. Yeah, it is hard. So, okay. Well, uh, Emmett, just uh, double check on the studio and the chat room and make sure that we don't have any questions or comments or callers. And let me know. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can hear me, or yes, we do have comments, or yes, we have callers. I hear you. Hold on. Okay. Oh, well, uh, it does is, look uh, like looking... you can Okay, well, keep the studio open so that you can cue the music in just one minute. I did want to say one thing before we end the program today. If you have the Spirit with you, that means you are clean and forgiven. You have been justified and sanctified because the Spirit cannot dwell in an unholy temple, which temple you are. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. You're working on that. But as you work on those things and you're able to keep the spirit with you and you have it, 
that means you are on the path. And that is good. So if the spirit withdraws from you and you have, you know, the opposite of the spirit all the time, then um, seeking to regain the spirit is what you need to do so that you can get on the path again, on the, uh, you know, the path that leads to the tree of life. So I just wanted to, to throw that out there for our listeners. And uh, thank you, Kim, for reading. And thank you, Emma, for reading and taking care of the studio. And I will give you guys a call after the music. And uh, I guess we'll just end it for tonight. We'll be back on Monday at 6 p.m. with the last chapter of The Gift of Tongues and probably another chapter of how to qualify for the celestial kingdom today. And then on Tuesday, we'll start a new book. So anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Emmett, cue the music. Thank you.